Hi there, thanks very much for tuning in and listening to and or watching for the first time ever the Not The Top 20 podcast. This is our playoff preview and we're going to start with the championship. Uh, Ali Maxwell and George Ellick of Not The Top 20 podcast and two special guests as well. We've got Nick Goff, pro punter, uh, able to give us all kinds of insight today. I hope so, yeah. Yeah, well, we hope so too. Uh, and we're thrilled also to be joined by Paul Hurst, former manager of Ipswich and Shrewsbury Town, Grimsby, Boston United and Ilkeston Town. Paul, you're not normally around at this time of year. A man with a lot of playoff experience. In fact, at one point, there was a stretch of 10 years where you were part of seven playoff campaigns, including four consecutive with Grimsby. So do you love the playoffs? Do you hate the playoffs? How do you feel about them in here? No, I'm, I think they're very exciting and I've had some good times in them and some bad times. Uh, but certainly when a lot of players, managers, clubs have had their seasons finished, mine's usually gone towards the, the end of May, which my wife's been delighted about, uh, <laughs> <laughs> delaying holidays, etc. But, you know, I, I have to say I, I've really liked them and this time I'll be watching as a, as a neutral. Uh, this series of playoff previews is, is brought to you and made possible by our sponsors Blacktype uh, and Blacktype as they have all season are offering you uh, the listener of Not The Top 20 Pod a £10 free football selection if you sign up to Blacktype using the offer code NTT20 uh, and you make a football selection any selection something to do with the playoffs let's say uh, you'll find a £10 free bet in your bet slip and George we're going to have don't give them away, but there's going to be a few playoff specials on offer as well. Yeah, I think um, with one player special, it's quite predictable who we're going to be focusing on, given that it's the uh, the player that I speak about the most on here. But uh, as we go through, we'll have a few specials for the listeners as well that should, um, you know, make viewing the, the occasion a little bit more fun, hopefully. And, uh, and I think one of them is a massive price as well. So we'll get to that <laughs> when we get there. Well, Nick's going to hopefully talk us through where the value is uh, and, and who's looking good from that side of things. Nick, from a punting perspective, how do you approach the playoffs? How much is it different to your regular season? Uh, you're a busy man every Saturday, of course, every game week, in fact. How does punting on the playoffs differ? Um, so the first, the first thing is that you are condensed into six games, six ties, whereas on a normal Saturday you'd have you know, unlimited really if you're doing more leagues across the world. Games, the seasons are coming to an end, you've only got six games to concentrate on, you can give them more of your time. I think there are more factors to look into as well, more little things that you can consider. Um, are managers a little bit more important in the playoffs? Uh, is home advantage different than it is in a league game with a full ground? Does that make any difference? Um, how, is going in with form and momentum a good thing or does that get too far into the prices? Or is it actually irrelevant and people just talk about it because they think it's real? Um, so there are loads of things that we can talk about as we go through each tie here that will be sp specific to those ties that might not exist in a normal league match between the sides. Um, so I think the playoffs is probably the most interesting betting time of the year and you might be able to find a few things that you don't find, a few angles that other people might not have thought of or, or things that just don't exist in the normal season that make the, this time of year a bit more interesting. I think right. just, just something on that quickly, which is where we can kind of get some of Paul's expertise, is, is you mentioned experience and how much that plays into a factor. It's something that we talk about a lot. You talk about teams who've had the heartbreak of losing, like last year at Villa, obviously losing at Wembley before. 
there's the, the narrative and the rhetoric is that that's going to help them going forward. Obviously, your Grimsby team had two consecutive semi-final defeats in the National League, yeah. then a final defeat on penalties, and then finally got, got over the line. So I guess there's probably no one in the world who, who, could, <laughs> who could answer the question better about if that experience that you have, if that heartbreak, I guess, you have in, in the playoffs sets you in better stead going forward with the same squad. There's no doubt at Grimsby some of the squad did change, but we used that heartbreak and I think even the fans got on board with it. They realised how unlucky we were on that day uh, against Bristol Rovers. Uh, and the season after was all about you know, trying to win automatic promotion first. We couldn't quite do that. But I think any experience you've got can only help. What I would say, it certainly doesn't guarantee you anything. Even last season uh, with Shrewsbury, we played Lincoln in the Czech trade final. We didn't go our way, but we still thought, use that experience when we... Uh, ultimately went back and played Rotherham it still didn't help us <laughs> uh, um, unfortunately as I said there's no you know one set way but I do think just in terms of the players you know that the seeing the dressing room it's not as much of a surprise you know we often took the players uh, to the stadium get that out of the way I know some people think that that's you know not the way to do it but for me you know you, you get there we had one player playing in the first final I was involved in who came on a sub and then decided he was going to wave at his family in the, while the game's going on. As a manager, you can imagine I wasn't overly impressed with that. Probably logistically, that's the worst stadium to do it when you're normally playing for about a thousand people. Well, that's what we're trying to say. Is like, this is where, so before you go, you know what your tickets you've got. This is where your family are going to be. You know, any selfies, pictures, get them out of the way and then it's sort of a cut-off point of it's game time now and to the best of your ability, you just treat it as like any other game. Now, clearly that's not always easy. Some people handle that better than others. I've had a couple of players that have absolutely froze and I've had others, you know, really rise to the occasion and you're never quite sure, unless you've had lads that have been through it, um, who, who that's going to be. Do you see them freeze before the game or as they line up or does it take a few minutes and then you think, you know, can I make a sub already? How, how, <laughs> how, how early do you, can you spot that? I think even in the, the sort of week leading up to it, um, or, or two weeks, depending on how long a break there is. But some players definitely, you can sense it. Maybe they go really quiet, or they might have the opposite where they they really get in. You have to try and read if that's their normal behaviour. You know, you might I might have a word with them, or you send a coach, an assistant, something like that. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely signs that you can pick up on. But even then, I think, you know, if I look at someone like uh, Aristos Wenciala, he got quite nervous. But if anything, it focused him even more. And he, he performed extremely well uh, in the finals for me uh, during the time. Paul, we're going to start with Derby and Leeds in this championship uh, playoff preview. About as tasty a semi-final as we could possibly have wanted, although Villa West Brom runs it fairly close. I think we're feeling we're feeling pretty lucky, aren't we? And also one team who in Derby, um, you know, are probably the championship equivalent of your Grimsby team, where they uh, they definitely know the playoffs uh, fairly well by now and have a few players who've had that heartbreak. Yeah. What what are the uh, what are the prices before this one? So currently, for, I mean, we'll look at the the, the, the first leg on, on Saturday first five fifteen kickoff, and Leeds are just about favourites to win in ninety minutes at eight to five. Derby. Uh, 15 to 8 on the drift and the draw is 9 to 4 but crucially we're going to look at the to qualify market which is uh, you know the thing that really matters here and black type are currently best price on both teams oh, wow. uh, on odd checker which is quite impressive 
Um, so Leeds are four to seven um, favourites to go through, and Derby at six to four. So Leeds, understandably, you'd say over the course of the season, uh, the heavy favourites, but you know, no denying who's been the better team in the last few weeks. Yeah, well, we're going to touch on all the things Nick mentioned, such as form or momentum, if you must use that word, uh, such as home advantage, over the course of the, the three preview podcasts, looking at all, all, diff, all, the, all the three different leagues. Uh, I've, I've noted the right times to bring those up. Um, I'm going to start with you, Paul, on this game. You managed against both of these teams uh, at the start of the season when you were Ipswich manager. So I guess... We're going to touch on as many different things as we can, the key players, the features that we think will, will be important in this game. But just as a proposition for an opposition manager, I know it was early in the season, but how did you analyse these teams pre-game? What did you consider to be the, the, the great strengths and weaknesses of these sides? I think certainly with Leeds, the energy that they played with, you know, the runners kind of very fluid in, in the shape. Um, I was really impressed with them. Uh, they beat Norwich, I think, prior to, to us playing both of those teams. And that was, you know, early in the season, but that was one of the most impressive performances I've seen over the course of it. And I think when they beat West Brom on TV, again, really, really impressive. At one stage, it looked like they'd sort of losing a, a little bit of form. Then they came back strong. Uh, but, you know, I'm not saying that... I, I know, uh, or I'm always right, but I just had a feeling that they were going to miss out on automatic, and clearly that's happened. Um, I don't know. I've just got a feeling that it might not be the fairy tale end that the Leeds uh, want, but you know, I guess we'll we'll find out. In Derby, a team, lots of younger players in there with a mix of a bit of experience, keep the ball very well. You know, very patient at times and probing. Um, and you know, are the team in this tie certainly going into it with form? Whether that means anything, I've been in that position as manager. You're asked about momentum and all of that, and I'd often kind of quash that because sometimes teams have already qualified. The resting players, um, you know, they lost at my old club Leeds, uh, Ipswich. Strangely, <laughs> albeit it wasn't for too long, but ten men. <coughs> Are they going to go into the playoffs and have that really worrying them? I, I don't see that. Uh, it's hard to imagine, isn't it? Like when they step out on the pitch on Saturday evening, it, it's very hard to imagine that that's going to be playing in their mind too much. And maybe it has a, a less obvious effect in the build-up and the atmosphere around the place. But I, I don't. I'm, this is why it's great to have have you on. I, I'm, I'm not sure how much I believe that that will affect them in this semi-final. Well, I, th I think this is one um, for, for Nick, where you know you, ha you have to think always when you're looking for why something's a bet if you've got an edge and if, if Leeds is prices as it is because of three or four results that are irrelevant then surely that's where you've got to look I actually think what might help Leeds a little bit is knowing their fate a week earlier mm. we'll, we'll get on to talk about League 2 later where Mansfield had it in their own hands on the final day that's got to really hurt um, yeah. for Leeds Obviously, they chased automatic all season, but they knew a week earlier that they were going to be in this situation. It was definitely happening. That you've had a week to get your head around it. They go to Ipswich. The result is irrelevant. Um, so yeah, they would have liked to have won, but I, I don't. That, that's not going to be factored into my thinking or whether they've won five 0 at Ipswich or got beat three two. I don't. I don't think that matters when we get to the derby game. 
Um, I think the most important thing in the championship playoffs from our perspective is we've got two real treats. We've got the two ties we really wanted in terms of um, storylines. Mm. Got to mention Spygate. <laughs> it's, it was the most interesting thing that has happened in the EFL this season, clearly. Um, and so we have to talk about does that have any effect on... You know, we've got a manager in his first season against one of the most experienced managers in world football. What a starting point that is. And two, two massively high-profile managers with completely different backgrounds where you know, you've got one of the most famous faces in world football coming up against a continental coach who's credited with being one of the most influential people for coaches across the world. But what I found really interesting about Spygate now is that at the time, Bielsa was very charming towards the press. It was a time where leads were flying very high and his, his reaction to the whole thing was almost, I'm going to kind of quash you with A, charm and B, the work that we do behind the scenes. Now... And he was asked about it last weekend. He didn't like it at all. And that suggests that there's got to be a, a change in his psyche that's happened, whether it's him feeling the pressure or whether it's him just not really appreciating that this game is coming up. Yeah, I think um, everyone's under pressure. So I, 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 yeah. I, don't, I don't want to dismiss it as Bielsa's under loads of pressure mm. here and no one else is. All four managers are under pressure to win these playoffs. So, um, Lampard, obviously, slightly less, though. They've, they've got in at the end. Um, I think everyone thinks he's done a really good job in his first season overall. But once you're in the playoffs, no one's there to make up the numbers. And so yeah. um, one thing um, I see on Twitter and places like that is um, which teams can't win the playoffs? Let's get rid of that straight away. Everyone can win in the playoffs. And if you played these playoffs through 10 times, everyone would win it at least once. Yeah. So, so there is no such thing as a you can't win. Over two legs in a final, everyone definitely can. Um, and Derby are the outsiders, rightly, they're the underdogs. But we have to look in terms of the prices, and Leeds are four to seven to qualify here. And I, I only think that's right. I don't think that's a great bet. I, I don't think I want to be staking my life on Leeds to get through this game. I, I, I think that they are definitely the better side. Um, but there are a few little question marks, and, and we have seen a little drop off in, in, in Leeds. That first part of the season where the, the press was frenetic, teams didn't know what to expect. They haven't quite kept that up the whole season, maybe like Wolves had done the year before. They have had a bit of a drop-off. They were only the third best team. And it's going to be a real grind to get, to get through. Presumably, as a, a pro punter, you, you will, as we try to, but maybe with fewer resources than you, be up to date with the underlying numbers and use those it, to some extent. Um, it's part of the package, yeah. You, ha you have to be aware of um, all of the statistical analysis of, yeah. of both sides. Um, so how do these two teams rate? Um, and how do you work out which chunks of the season? Do you look at the season as a whole or do you look at the last 10, 20 games? Um, so the last, 12, the last 10 and the last 12 are um, most relevant to me. But I will look at season stats because you know, there is a possibility that um, something that existed earlier in the season could raise its head again. Um, the most interesting thing for me about this game, especially for the first leg, is that um, Leeds games have been, been quite cagey. I think since the beginning of April they've only had one game that's gone over two and a half. Um, if you ignore that Ipswich game, because I don't think that's relevant. And the only game that's gone over two and a half goals since the beginning of April was Wigan at home, which was a f hell of a freak game. Yeah. Um, every other game has been unders. Um, I think with so much at stake in this first leg here, I wouldn't be surprised if this is very cagey, a low-scoring first leg. That would be... I, I don't see... 
a big bet at, at, at the match prices or to qualify here. I think it's about right. I think Leeds are rightly favourites, but they're not too big. Mm. Um, I think if I'm having a bet the first game, I'm going to be against goals in the first leg. I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised if it was 0-0, to be honest. Yeah. George, you've had an interesting relationship with Derby this season in terms of the way that we've discussed them on the podcast. And, yeah. um, where are you at with them at the moment? If we're talking about performance data, um, they didn't always reflect very well in that. Certainly early in the season when they were in the playoffs, seemed to establish themselves in that position. Um, you had some, some worries about uh, just how much well, the quality of the chances they were creating, whether they could keep relying on Harry Wilson scoring from range. But they've sort of changed over the course of the season somewhat. Yeah, I think they have. I mean, I, I definitely didn't see, I think their last 12 championship games, uh, they've won six and drawn five and lost one. I didn't see that coming at all. Um, but you've got to give them credit because their season, unlike Leeds', is, their season's been all about that 12 games. It was those 12 games that have gotten them into the position they're in now. Um, crucially, I mean, not to, to keep banging the, the same drum, but... There are certain players we've seen have a massive impact on their team seasons this season. Pablo is one of them at Leeds, Jack Ridge is one of them at Villa, and Mason Mount, even though his individual statistics may not be quite as impressive as those two in terms of just sheer output, um, when he plays Derby generally pick up um, more points than, than when he doesn't. When he was yeah, out yeah. of the team, they really, really struggled, and that was what nearly derailed their season. I think part of that was because also Wilson had to come inside into a position which, where he was less effective as well. So his return's been very important. Um, I, I still, uh, given their form at the moment, I think it's hard um, to rule them out, as Nick says. I think that they're the rightful outsiders here, and I think that Leeds' possible potential return to form would see them probably get through here quite fairly comfortably. Um, in terms of, of a cagey game, just going on to the to the to the uh, goal line odds, under two and a half is four to six, over two and a half is eleven to ten, under one and a half, fifteen to eight, over uh, overs is four to eleven, uh, and the nil nil is currently six to one. So you can see that it's reflected in the odds. This is going to be a low-scoring game. Um, the juice there, I'd probably say, is under under one and a half at fifteen to eight. But um, but yeah, I, I agree. This is going to be one uh, that's maybe. N- Exciting for the narrative, but maybe not necessarily for the uh, for the goal fest. Yeah, I think one thing on Lampard before we move on, I've been really impressed with how he's almost matured as a manager so quickly. Yeah, I'm um, listening to his post-match press conferences in the first couple of months. I had a lot of doubts about Lampard. Just the things that he was saying post-match, I thought, I'm not sure you get it. You know, like that, yeah. that was that, to be quite blunt. Um, talking about players being more than happy for players to continually shoot from 25, 30 yards. When, when you're a numbers disciple, you want to see the ball moved into the box and worked into better goal-scoring positions. Um, and I heard him a few times saying that if you, if you don't shoot, you don't score and things like that. And they're, they're little red flags to me. I don't, I don't necessarily like to hear that kind of stuff. And it's disappeared from his vocab. Mm. From February onwards, he, he talks like an experienced manager when he's obviously not one. Um, so there's a case for me of having to revise your opinion on someone when, when the facts change. Um, I, I didn't like what I was hearing early doors and I've changed my mind actually I, th- I, th- I think he's you know, and, and it, it's not that much of a surprise he's, he's just a winner as a person obviously um, and he's, he's adapted and has grown and has learned and he's gone like he must, be, he must see everything all day and, and he's learning all the time and he's developing into a really good manager when I wasn't sure that's what he was at the beginning so you've got to just say fair play I suppose it's not a massive shot that Frank Lampard would be happy to see people shooting from 25-30 yeah. <laughs> that, that, was, that was the concern yeah. don't, don't think these 11 lads are Frank Lampard yeah. because you're not going to get the same output um, but I've not heard it mentioned for no. ages and so it's just something I think he's learned. He mentioned um, when they beat us early season, 
I was speaking to him and Jody Morris, who I'd played with at Rotherham. I think there was a, a an early frustration of, you know, they're not maybe taking some of the information on board, mm. although they'd, they'd beaten us um, and played pretty well. And I think they, you know, it's a good level and there's some really good players there, but ultimately where Frank Lampard played and the players he played with, there is a difference in quality. Um, but I have to, going back to a point earlier about pressure, I don't. I think Frank Lampard's playing it well. He's saying, you know, we're the underdogs, but we're going to give it a go. You never know with young players. You know, they're very talented. They can sometimes play with more freedom, almost. You know, Richard Keogh, someone like that, is going to be really important. Is he going to have another chance to get promoted to the Premier League? Not sure. Um, so that's interesting. And and I'm opposite with Bielsa. I don't think Keogh will re really feel much pressure. <laughs> I think because of the I'm not sure he feels anything the same way we do. Well, he, he <laughs> clearly loves his football, but I think just his career and everything, I, I don't think that he'll particularly feel under much pressure here. Um, I think we'll, when we move on to the other game, there's a, a very inexperienced manager that I think will have the hardest task out of the, the four managers. But, if, but I was just going to say quickly before we move on to it, because I'm interested to know from a manager's point of view, um, you've got one team here in, in Leeds, the, the, the away team, but the favourites to qualify from the match. In the other game, Villa are the home team and favourites to qualify. There's no away goals rule here. Would you prefer going into a match to be playing at home first and try and get that advantage or, or coming back? This was always a conversation that sort of <laughs> the, the, we had with the chairman and things like that, and they wanted the second leg at home. Um, I guess last year we qualified with that uh, routine. I, I honestly didn't mind. In, in you know, all honesty, certainly at Grimsby, different levels, you'd sometimes play, uh, like we played at Eastleigh, for example, midweek, which was great. We got the second leg at Blundell Park, but that meant we got back at something like half past three, whereas the Eastleigh players had had the game in bed, yeah. tucked up and, and can prepare better, and then yeah. an easier run for the second leg. So I don't think the championship clubs will have that concern. <laughs> Uh, I think all I would say is pretty obvious, but if you're at home, you want to take some kind of lead into the second leg. Uh, and, you know, the flip side is away team, I think, would happily take a draw. You, you were saying before we were on air, but I don't think this was, you know, I don't think this was off the record. You're saying sometimes... sometimes <laughs> you in trouble. Sometimes you, you, you see teams and you wonder whether they are overreacting in a negative way to, to being behind after the first leg you know that there's, they're only halfway through the tie at that stage I certainly had that case uh, losing the year we went up we lost a brain tree at home 1-0 um, there were calls for me to, <laughs> to be psyched and you know it was the end of the season I'm thinking well we've got another game to play yet and you know while it wasn't an ideal scenario we, we just had to focus on winning one game of, with a scoreline at 1-0 if we won the next game Worst case, we, we go to extra time. Uh, I think it's important that you understand. You, you, I almost looked at it as one big game that lasts 180 minutes and could actually last a little bit longer. You know, you, you no point with 15 minutes to go in the first game if you're losing 1 0, you know, throwing extra strikers on the pitch and things like that. Um, so you do certainly have your part to play as a manager. I think one, making the decisions at the time, and two, even getting that message to the players, you know, not to go into desperation mode until the second leg if if you're in such a position. It's going to be a fascinating tie. I'd like to flag up the battle down the flanks. I think is a, a really key area here. You've got on, on the on Leeds's left flank, basically down to injuries. 
Um, you're going to probably have Stuart Dallas at left back and Jack Harrison at left wing. And for me, there's a huge difference in how effective they are both attacking and defending down the left side compared to the right side where you've got Pablo Hernandez obviously tucking in and, and ailing, overlapping. Uh, I think there's a big discrepancy there for Leeds, a big imbalance between how good they are on one side versus the other. And, and from a Derby perspective, well, their right-hand side, really strong in, in attack with Wilson coming inside and Bogle um, going outside. He provided a great cross uh, against West Brom for Waghorn. And on their left side, you've got Malone and Lawrence. And, you know, Lawrence is going to have to work very, very hard to, to keep a hold of, uh, of Ailing. So there's, there's a lot of quality players all over the pitch. Some, something that people don't necessarily say about him too often, I would say, as well. Well, so. quite. And when we're talking about players who don't always make the best decisions in terms of shot locations, I mean, there's a lot of talk about Wilson, but Lawrence is... He, he shoots from anywhere, and he doesn't score at quite the rate that Wilson does. But um, he looked like he's hit some good form in the last few weeks of the season. Let, let's move on to Villa against West Brom, um, another properly tasty tie here. George, what are black types saying price-wise for this game? So yeah, Villa the favourites to qualify at four to, four to six. West Brom is six to five. That six to five in West Brom is the best price out there. Um, short as even money elsewhere. Even odds on in a place. Um, and then in the game, the, the first game on Saturday at 12.30, Aston Villa are being backed. Currently even money with black type, odds on elsewhere. Uh, five to two the draw and 11 to four for the baggies. Nick, as a Wolverhampton Wanderers fan, I think the answer is neither. Uh, if you're asked who you want to win, but how have you? What, what do you make of this team? What do you make of this tie? Um, I think um, Aston Villa should actually be shorter. I think that they are a really strong bet here. This is a um, strong stance of yours. Um, I'll be on Villa to qualify and to win the first leg. If you can get evens to qualify, whenever this goes live, just get it because I don't think it goes off odds against or, or evens. Um, I think. If you cast your mind, I think it was mid-February, the two ties met at Villa Park. West Brom won 2-0. That's right. And moved 13 points clear of Villa. What's happened since then? Yeah. Um, I think it took Dean Smith a little while when he came in to figure out everything he needed. He's got his biggest club he's ever managed by a long way. It's taken a little while, plus the Grealish injury. Let's not understate that. That was big. He was out for a long time. And when, you, when your best player's out, that's always going to be a problem. Never heard of him. <laughs> Sorry. Um, in case you didn't know, I, I, I basically only support Jack Grealish. Hundred picked him. Okay, on that, yeah. <laughs> I think by late February, early March, Smith had got them where he wanted them. The penny had dropped with the players. They all knew what was what was um, expected of them, and everyone was coming back to fitness. And he's got us. He, he knows what his best team is. Not only does he know what his best team is, he has impact game-changing players on the bench. West Brom are the team that have come down from the Premier League where you expect to have the slightly stronger, deeper squad. It's not the case in this tie. Um, and we can talk about things like form. Yeah, um, Villa went on this run of what, 10 consecutive wins, whatever it was. Mm. But don't use form and momentum to mask the fact that they're now just the better team. Um, not only are they the better team, but we've got, we've got to have question marks over James Shan. I think Paul's probably going to alluded to the the fact that how much pressure he's going to be under. No one really gives him a chance here because no one knew who he was six months ago, um, and that's got to be a, that, that. All this all adds up to me to to people talk about the lottery of the playoffs. The playoffs is not a lottery. Um, if you prepare right and you're the better team and you do the right things, and there's a little bit of luck because it's just two games of football. The, the team that do the right things will come out on top more often than they don't, and I expect that to be Villa here. 
Paul, what have you made of, of that managerial situation at West Brom? Darren Moore leaving and, and a lot of opinions on both sides. That was incredibly harsh or actually um, there were many reasons why his West Brom team didn't look like they were fulfilling their potential and, and the importance of a promotion perhaps for, from board level. What can't be argued is that surely the board had to have someone lined up. They didn't have someone lined up and, and now Jimmy Shan heads into the playoffs or, do you feel like he's kind of been chucked in at the deep end? He has, but at the same time, you know, what a fantastic opportunity for him. Um, as you said, he, you know, he'd worked with the 23s. Um, you know, he looks, he comes across well, but I do think, you know, this is one hell of a job that he's got. Um, I think he's, what he has got is disposably some very good players. Both teams score goals. Mm. They've scored a lot of goals this season. Um, and I think it's those players that are really going to have to stand up. You know, clearly a manager is going to have his part to play, pick the team. Michael Appleton's gone in there. I'm sure he'll be drawing on his experience as well. Um, but it is a strange situation that West Brom have found themselves in. You know, I, I think most people would agree it was harsh uh, with Darren Moore. At the same time, I think most people would argue certainly early at the start of the season that West Brom had the best squad mm. of players and you look at some really talented individuals I was a bit concerned watching the game against Derby at the weekend um, yes they were in the playoffs Derby needed that win more uh, Robson Carnu, you know what a ridiculous sort of decision he made yeah. I, I mean I, it, that's something else that adds to the manager's uh, problems mm. So I, 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 you know, I'm with the lads here. I, I, he's got Villa have got to be favourites, I think, to get through this time. Paul mentioned Four the games. game against Derby. We talked about it on the podcast on Monday when we recapped the final day, and it wasn't the first time we've kind of said this season that this West Brom team are very hard to to work out. They have clearly finished in a good position. They've scored a lot of goals, and yet when you watch them, you don't really feel that this is a a particularly good team and I mean team in, in, the, in the true sense of the word. I mean Jay Rodriguez and Dwight Gale have scored 55 goals between them this season that is like that's unbelievable mm. uh, and it just goes to show the quality of this squad. I think an interesting thing about Michael Appleton coming in um, not looking to be biased but when we spoke to him on the podcast he said that his kind of managerial philosophy was get your best players on the board in dangerous positions and I think that's exactly what this West Brom need, team needs and what it hasn't had this season. A lot of times we've seen West Brom um, fairly stale in midfield and keeping the ball in areas where they weren't, weren't dangerous. There was that stat during the rounds early on in the season where they were just far more um, successful playing on the counter-attack. There was, of course, that 4-1 win against Leeds where they broke at a kind of frightening, play, a frightening pace and got the players that we've mentioned into positions in dangerous areas and in space and, and they could capitalise on that. So I think his, his arrival into the fold can only be a positive one for Shan. I think the way he thinks about football and his affinity to the club um, should really help them. But just going back to what, what Nick said about that West Brom game, um, it was something that I flagged as a bit of a watershed moment for Villa's season as well, where after that 2-0 loss, Villa conceded 32 goals in 17 home games, which was the most of any team in all four leagues, which is perplexing Like how, how that team with that squad of players managed to concede so many goals at Villa Park. Since then, they conceded just four, two of which came on closing day against Norwich. So you can see there how much they've tightened up, how much they've improved. And as you say, they're just a totally different team now to what they were um, pre... Even when Smith first came in and they had that mini-run pre-February, kind of they're just a better team now. The other thing I think is 
almost played into their favour is Abraham's injuries meant that Jonathan Codgers come into the fold and scored three goals in four games. I mean, Abraham is undoubtedly the the uh, primary striker if he's fit, but at least having another option there, having someone who's in form coming into these three games is so important because you're not coming in with someone who is a bit low on confidence, hasn't quite been there and done it. So, yeah, for me, everything pointing at Villa as well. Paul, what do you think about Jack Grealish? Like, when you watch him and 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 you see him play the way that he's played over the last three months or so, the discussion is always he should be playing in the Premier League, he should be playing in the top six, he could be maybe good enough to be in the England squad. Where do you stand on, on Grealish at the moment? A fantastic player, uh, very annoying to manage against. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he played at, at Portman Road earlier in the season and won that many fouls, free kicks. And, you know, you want to tell your players, you know, sort of gets get stuck into him make sure you challenge strongly but he's he's a strong boy himself mm. in terms of and he knows how to use his body extremely comfortable on the ball scores goals I think there was a spell wasn't there it was uh, Nick mentioned that he was out of the team injured mm. and they really struggled he came back and results if I'm you know from memory at least seemed to really pick up uh, I mean at the start of the season he was linked with Tottenham mm. now I don't think all right, every signing isn't always uh, guaranteed to be a success. But if you've got a team like Tottenham trying to sign a player like Jack Grealish, I dare say he's a pretty good player. <laughs> um, and I think he, he can have a major role in, in helping them try and uh, win promotion. The point about winning free kicks is, is, is an important one, maybe an underrated one in, in media analysis, because um, I think Villa have scored, if not the most goals from set pieces in the Championship this season, certainly top one, two, three. And the delivery they have from Hurahan and McGinn and the size that they have, especially with Mings as well, but you know, their, their strikers, Codger and Abraham, both good in the air. Um, in the playoffs, that can make a huge difference, right? I mean, set pieces, I'm not saying that they're more important than in a regular season game, but I know that Shrewsbury, your Shrewsbury, scored a, a, an unbelievable free kick routine at Wembley last season. Like, to what extent do you put importance on set pieces in the build-up to one of these games? I think the same as, as any other, but right. you perhaps get just a little bit more time to, to do that mm. uh, focus on them, maybe come up with something different. Um, that final, yeah, we scored that one. Rotherham scored two goals from set players. So I think in so many games, set players end up being the deciding factor. Mm. Um, but just generally, I, you know, West Brom defensively, I think under Darren, he was very open and expansive and maybe let teams in um, for opportunities and, and goals a little too easy at times mm. but they haven't got a great defensive record overall uh, and I think Villa will just be, be too strong It's interesting isn't it sorry George that their defensive record they do look shaky at times they haven't ever looked that convincing Hagazi sometimes just has a game where he shuts everything down but I was watching Kyle Bartley uh, on the weekend against Derby completely lose Waghorn for the opening goal and that's got to be a, a bit of a concern they've had different styles in, in the way that they play out of the back um, certainly a short passing game for, for the first half of the season definitely which caused some, some real concern at times amongst the fan base and they gave away some, some costly goals um, when you've got Gale and Rodriguez, clearly your, your two star players, and they both, I think it's fair to assume, want to play through the middle and, and therefore together through the middle, do you have to basically sort of reverse engineer your whole team towards getting the ball up to them? I think that's always going to be the temptation. You know, People have said to me in the past about, you know, you need to get your best players out there and 
and if that means changing what your ideal system is. But ultimately, it's got to be what's best for the, the team. You know, if you fit those to win, can you, um, you know, change things around elsewhere? And I, like I said, they have. I think Darren was quite happy to change systems at times. But I do just wonder, are they quite, you know, settled? I, I, I'm not sure they are. I think Matt Phillips came on at the weekend. He's a big player for him. He's very, you know, very quick, powerful, can nick a goal. I think you can't rule them out because of the players you just mentioned. Mm. Um, but I do think, again, I'm not sure they're quite in the right place. But they have got players that could just produce, you know, that moment of uh, magic, brilliance to uh, to get them through. Leaning towards Villa as well, George. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe we nearly spoke about Jack and I didn't even say anything. Um, but I, was, <laughs> I think you've said it all before. Well, I was, I was just going to say, there was an interesting, um, in the Leeds game, the, uh, the now famous controversial Leeds game, where a lot of people said that he had a quiet game. Uh, and, and he did on the ball, but he also um, was fouled seven times in that match, five of which came in, in, in the final third. And it was a similar story at Wembley last season when Fulham dominated that game and, and Grealish again was fairly quiet but was still the best player on the day for Villa and one untold amount of free kicks and I do think that given the, the fine margins of, of the playoffs having you, when you know you're going to have six or seven opportunities per game to get the ball in the box from one player's ability to get fouled um, before you even talk about his other strengths um, yeah that's, that's fairly important yeah and uh, he's going to get kicked a lot in the semi-finals, that's for sure. Steph Johansson, if he plays, <laughs> any yellow card markets you can find, have a look at Steph Johansson. Um, Nick, clearly, because of, of the inexperience of James Shannon and many other factors, you, you're feeling pretty strong about this Villa side. Yeah, um, we talked about Hagazi and Bartley, rightly, um, but I don't think Dawson's had a very good season either. No. And the last few months, the, the wing-backs, Holgate and Gibbs, have not been impressed. There's just too many question marks. And I, I think... We come back to Grealish again. His movement getting between centre backs and wing wing backs here is going to cause a lot of problems. Um, this is I think this is clear cut. I don't, I don't have much more to say mm. other than I, I think this is a good both a good match up for Aston Villa, um, and everything points to um, I think building a leg a, a lead in the first leg that they can take to the Hawthorns. So we've got a couple of. Uh, a couple of questions that have been sent in on Twitter. We've got a very exciting special that Black Type are offering, which is very specific to us, to the podcast, <laughs> and, and we think a very exciting one. Um, but we are going to push you all for your, uh, for your picks, essentially. I, I, w I want to know who you think the final will be, which two teams will be involved, and if you feel bold enough, tell us who you think might be uh, heading up to the, the Premier League next season. So we'll start with you, Paul. We've got Derby Leeds. West Brom Villa, where are you? Where are you leaning here? Definitely Villa. The other game, I'm I'm really unsure. Mm. I, I said I've just got a feeling that Leeds might come up short, whether that's in this semi-final or the final itself. Um, if we're going to have to push me, I'll go for a, a Derby Villa final and Villa to win it overall. And uh, Nick, not far away. I'm a clear Villa. Um, I think the other game is very close. I'll. Just go the other way and say, I think Leeds will sneak through, but same, I think Villa will probably get the job done in the final. Yeah, I'm a Leeds Villa man. George? Who's going to win it, though? Leeds. So, yeah, that's what I was going to say. So, the, I mean, we'll, I'll give you the black type outright odds now. <laughs> Leeds, seven or four favourites. Villa, 15 to eight. West Brom, four to one. Derby, nine to two. I agree that the two Favs will go into the final, but just the way that I know it was Ellen Road, 
but it was in the middle of this supposed mini slump from Leeds and, in the, and at the end of Villa's winning run just the way that, that Leeds probably had did shade that game makes me think that if it was kind of picking prices which is what it looks like it would be I'd maybe back Leeds um, but I wouldn't really be too strong either way and as we know Marcelo Bielsa we've decided doesn't feel any pressure so, yeah, so it's fine that, that'll be good um, do we do the special as we yeah as definitely we? definitely so, yeah, talk so us the, through the special here this this George this is basically if we're honest just for you I can't really be, I feel like I can't really back it though but anyway uh, it's uh, it's it's Jack Grealish to win um, the man of the match award at Wembley um, at 14 to 1 um, which is so if you go onto the black type site you'll find it there if you think the Villa are a 15 to 8 shot to, to win this, um, that makes him a f- supposed 4 to 1 shot ish to win man of the match if they, if they do win the game um, as a double, which seems pretty generous to me. But I'll leave it to you guys to, to decide. Yeah, I mean, it sounds, sounds pretty good to me. It's not a bad price. No. Yeah. No, if, you, if, you, if you're a Jack Grealish fanboy. Yeah, as, <laughs> as, as we all are, apparently. But, you know. it's, if, you, if you have to write to me to get acceptance to the club, and I'll, yeah, it's fine. I, don't, I wouldn't put people off that and say that's an yeah. awful bet. It's not. It's all right. Yeah. You probably wouldn't back it, Nick. I, I'm guessing, just putting value to one side, your feelings toward Jack Grealish aren't as strong, shall we say, as George's? Um, it's, it's weird. Um, yes, I'm a Wolves fan and, and our rivals are West Brom and always will be. And I still would prefer Villa to win the tie. But there was a bit of a, an underlying sort of niggle between Wolves and Villa last season, mm. which um, came because we were way better than they were and they didn't like it. <laughs> I like the fact that you, don't look at, you look at underlying numbers and underlying niggles as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I... I'd rather Villa won, but I, that, all of that goes out the window when you're when you're betting. You can't the, the, yeah. every team has to be a, just a name on a spreadsheet. You can't you can't um, have any emotion. Yeah, well, we like the special a lot, and uh, as I mentioned at the top of the pod, at the top of the video as well, I've got to get used to saying that is, is that uh, Black Type are offering new customers uh, a ten pound free football selection uh, when they use the offer code NTT twenty upon signing up. So. If you like the sound of Jack Grealish, man of the match in the final at 14-1, to 1, then um, that could be a, a good way of, uh, of using that £10 free bet. Just give Black Type a go uh, in these playoffs. I mean, a- any other business, guys? We've had a, a few questions. I'm putting you on the spot slightly, but uh, Tom asked for one player in the championship that can make, make the most impact in these playoffs. I mean, it's, it's difficult between the key players for each team, isn't it? I mean, if... if if I think, for example, that Leeds and Villa are heading to the final, it's hard to look past Pablo and Grealish. Um, but anyone we, we haven't spoken about that you think is well, a key this, player for these teams? This teams. is interesting, actually, because everything we've just said about Villa, if you want the player that can make the most impact, it's Sam Johnson. He's the reason that West Brom could win. The, if, if he has two absolute stormers, that's what could, could ha- the only thing that could help them for me. So if West Brom are going to go up, he'll be the best player in the playoffs, in my opinion. And therefore, maybe Keller Roos of Derby as well, who I think is going to head into the playoffs as their goalkeeper, which might be a, a bit of a concern for well, some I mean, Derby I'd, fans. I'd say for Derby, it's, it's basically the two guys with, with immense Premier League quality in, in Wilson and, uh, and, and Mount, who can, on their day, um, turn what, who are the outsiders into a, a team. You know, they're the two guys who, whose careers are going to go a lot further than the championship. And, and if they turn up on over two legs, um, if Derby are going to qualify against Leeds, they're going to need those two to perform fairly well, I'd argue. I'd throw John McGinn in there. Mm. He's had a fantastic season. Gets a goal. His delivery, he's excellent. That we just spoke about could be a big factor. Um, but realistically, I think we talked about the main man. <laughs> George, you'll be delighted. Yeah. 
Um, you know, and, and just in terms of the bet, it, it not often goes to a defender, does it? So straight yeah. away you, you're airing towards the right sort of player that would get that award if, if they do get there. Yeah, I can't finish the pod. And every time we talk about Derby, I do this because you you focus too much on Mount and Wilson. Uh, their player of the season, Derby, was Fikayo Tomori, another loney uh, and another man got in thanks to Frank's uh, happy and friendly relationship with Chelsea. But Tomori uh, is a is a key man there, and and Keo is an interesting one as well. He's he's someone that the Championship fans know very well, and and has made some high profile mistakes in the past. Clearly, for those who have run the club and those who have managed that club, Derby, he is an important player for them. He's, he's been part of this Derby side for a long time now. And I think there's a, a bit of a, a disparity between how uh, Championship fans see him as someone with a bit of a rick in him um, to how maybe Derby fans and, and, and management think of him as quite a dependable defender. Oh, there's no doubt his experience is invaluable. I mentioned that before. He's, he's a leader, he's a winner. Um, but I think Tamori, in all honesty, he's not been um, fault-free. Certainly earlier in the season, I haven't seen as much of late, but there's been times when I think he's he looked like he struggled to get to the pace of the games, or was a you know a little bit up and down in his form. And we looked at them certainly, but I think they complement each other really well. And he did look, or the last couple of times I've seen him, he has looked more assured. Mm. Um, he's got that electric pace to to make up for 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 his errors, but also for Keo's as well. Yeah, he can. He is. He's. I mean, it's such a an asset to have. It allows them to push up the pitch. There were a couple of instances at the weekend, you know, one was off, offside, but he, he clearly got back to the ball before the strikers. Um, and as you say, he, he has had a good season, there's no doubt, but these again are big games for some, you know, young players. It doesn't, just because they've come from premiership clubs, doesn't mean that they're going to be able to handle that. It's something new for them, great experience. If they're going to make it to the top, then you, you think they should handle that. Uh, but it'll be a big ask for him. Great. I think that's us done for the championship. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Um, we have done exactly the same for League One and League Two. So wherever you found this, uh, get involved with our League One, League Two playoff previews. Plenty more where this came from for the EFL's other two divisions. And please don't hesitate to tweet us any questions at NTT20pod. Uh, on Twitter at Black Type Bet as well. Uh, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast and uh, make sure that you make good use of that £10 free football selection offered by Black Type using the offer code NTT20 when you sign up.